So I work with getting people to buy their first and second home. And then if they have a little bit more ambition, if they want to establish financial freedom, I work at helping them leverage those first and second homes. Hello there. Welcome back to the My Future Business Show. It's Rick Nusky. It's so wonderful to be with you today, no matter where you are in this big, wide, wonderful world. Thank you again for joining. If this is your first time with us on the show, welcome. And if you've been here for any length of time, thank you so much for supporting the show. It makes all the difference knowing that the show is making a difference for you. Now, on today's show, I have the pleasure of welcoming your go-to resource for all things real estate in Southern California, Mr. David Dupong. Welcome to the show, David. Thank you, Rick. Happy to be here. Yes, absolute pleasure to have you here, David. Now, you and I are going to be talking about how you can get started in real estate with the right information, guidance, and education that will help you better prepare for real estate investment and home ownership success. But alongside that, we're going to be learning a lot about, I guess, your approach to business, um, you know, mindset, looking after yourself, and, and, and I'm sure a whole heap of other wonderful topics. But first of all, where are you calling in from today, David? So I'm calling in from my home in Santa Monica, California. I own and operate my real estate business in Los Angeles and Orange County. So the coast of Southern California. Oh, very nice. Very nice. So do you have many surf style beaches there? What's what's the terrain like? Yeah, between Malibu and Laguna Beach, I'd say, which mm. is basically just a stretch of... 50 miles of coastline <laughs> yep you can find dozens of small little beaches that you'll see surfers out at uh, yep. every day even during this tropical storm we had the other week you still had people out before and after trying to take advantage of better waves <laughs> absolutely look I, i've having been up and down that coast I, I love the the environment now what do you love about the environment there what's your thing so it's kind of an evergreen landscape of climate. My entire year is between 60 and 80 degrees. And when I want to experience say fall or winter or apple picking or skiing, snowboarding, I can drive a few hours to another part of this state and do whatever I want. Mm -hmm. So I get, it's sort of a life by design that I get to live because I've established myself here. Yeah, now you have those options, don't you? Now, whilst you're doing all those things, is there a specific thing you enjoy doing? You have a specific hobby that you get involved with? So I'm passionate about um, rescue dogs. Oh. I adopted my little staffy pit bull and uh, I've been volunteering at a local shelter called Wags and Walks in Los Angeles for years Love and it. they help bigger dogs, dogs that have bad PR wraps but aren't bad dogs. There's mm -hmm. just a lot of misinformation about them. And I think uh, just from my personal experience, a dog is one of the things that loves you the most in the world. And we're very helpful during times like COVID, trying times oh, yeah. that people needed that emotional support. Yeah. So I try to help them as much as they've helped me in yeah. my life. 
That's wonderful feedback. We've got three Rottweilers and they're one of those breeds that have, have a somewhat of a bad rap. And I can tell you, they're the most cuddliest, sookiest lap dogs. They think they're lap dogs anyway. <laughs> well, you treat them like a baby and they act like a baby. But, you know, you get a few bad cases and suddenly you're, all your condos or co-ops are saying no large breed, yep. no aggressive. Well, aggressive breed is a, it's a term they made up. Yeah, There's absolutely. No dog that's born trying to hurt you. They're like a mirror, aren't they? Yeah, they get exactly what you give them, and they love you so much they'll take whatever you give them. Yeah, yeah. I I wonder if you could be any animal in the world, what would you be? Do you think? <laughs> I mean, I'd probably be a dog. My wife looks at my dog every day and goes, "Oh, if I could just be you for today." <laughs> <laughs> sleep 20 hours wake up to eat and play and then go back to sleep ah oh, sounds great <laughs> it would be wonderful wouldn't it i remember growing up as a as a kid we had a, a, a sausage dog black thing and we called her shadow <laughs> yeah do you did you ever ever have any pets growing up yeah i had so my friends had um dogs my family had a lot of cats um and I always knew people that either had Goldens or had uh, Pitbulls or had Dachshunds, you know, little wiener dogs. Corgis. Corgis were very popular, too. Mm -hmm. And I just grew up thinking, like, these are great. Like, they're always up for anything. Uh, but they're a big responsibility. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Well, look, <laughs> in those, I guess, those early years when we're, you know, footloose and fancy free, as they say, as kids... What did you enjoy doing? Do you have any memories of your childhood that you could share with us? Yeah, I really loved a uh, mixture of sports. I played a lot of baseball and soccer with my yep. friends. And then I actually got into a lot of video games when I was in high school with ah. my other friends. So I had <laughs> these two groups, one where I could get exercise and like <laughs> be in the sun and work on my cardiovascular health. And another yeah, one that. where I could stay up all night eating a bag of Mountain Dew and Cheetos. <laughs> and which one do you prefer, do you think? Uh, I mean, from back then, I probably would have said video games. But right now, if I tried to do something like that, <laughs> I would be in bed for a week. <laughs> yeah, the recovery time's a little bit different nowadays, isn't it? Now, speaking yeah. about, uh, you know, your routines, are you an early riser? And uh, what's a day look like for you? So I'm a very specific, I mean, I think my morning routine sets me up for success the whole day. Yeah. And it starts the night before. So I'm a big fan of reading about like topics that I can personally use, like cooking, mm -hmm. nutrition, sleep science, all that. And what they call sleep opportunity time is the amount of time you give yourself to sleep. So yeah. if you're in bed for 10 hours, you might only get eight to eight and a half hours of sleep, depending on how much you're on your phone or iPad or whatever. Oh, yeah. And if you're only in bed for eight hours, the most you could sleep is seven because your body needs time to get into and get out of sleep. So I like to be in bed by 10 p.m. So yeah. I can get a full seven to nine, depending on what my body needed from the day before. Yes. yes. And then I can start the day at six, six thirty, seven, depending on what my body needs, and then start my morning schedule from there. Do you find uh, it difficult? Um, maybe do you have a busy mind, and therefore does it 
is it a struggle to get to sleep some sometimes or do you fall asleep pretty well yeah i mean if i i'll be honest some days based on the job i do end up having to work till eight nine ten o'clock yeah in those days i find myself needing an hour in bed to come down to yep. really switch off work dave and get into sleep or personal date so if i don't give myself that time i'm setting myself up for failure because the most i'm going to get is like six hours of sleep ah, and yep. then i feel it the whole next day so i i'll get into bed if i don't have anything else to do and my wife and i don't have plans that night i'll get into bed at eight and i'll read a book i'll give myself the grace the opportunity to like whenever my body and mind get tired yep that i can just go to sleep yeah it's beautiful isn't it if you can get to that point i i wonder you know uh of an evening do you have a heavy meal what's your diet look like because i think that's really important for the quality of sleep and uh, how you function through the day absolutely so i do what's called intermittent fasting i know a lot of people do it now and it's kind of a hit word but what I've found is if I only eat six or eight hours of the day, like 10 to four mm. or 11 to five, six hours is really where I feel the best. Yep. By the time I get in bed, I don't have any acid reflux. I don't have any full mm. feeling. I don't have any, my body's not hot or cold or too tired. Or, it's, it's settled. Yep. So that it can sleep and do all the rep repairs I need from my day, from working out, from exercising, mm. etc. And consequently, when I wake up, I don't eat too early because I still need to get some things done and I need to exercise. And if you wake up and eat right away, your body basically slows down and puts a large portion of energy towards digesting. Yes. So my diet is very a very big part. Or yep. I like to call it my lifestyle because diet has such a negative connotation. Yeah. But my lifestyle has and nutrition have a big part in how much I'm able to do and how efficient I get to be. I just wonder if we can explore that a little bit more because I've been very interested in this sure. whole idea of intermittent fasting. So is this basically, um, you know, you're offsetting the times where traditional marketing would say, hey, get up, have a bowl of cereal at eight o'clock to get your energy, which is somewhat misleading, I guess, for some. So you just wait more so until you're hungry. Is that how you operate? So, yes. And you'll, what you'll find out is after the first like two weeks where you've gotten your body out of the habit of eating, mm -hmm. your body doesn't really need the food like you thought it did. Yeah. So I measured how many calories my body was burning and it was like 1750. Yep. I was like, okay, so already right there by trying to stick to a 2000 calorie diet, I was sticking to gaining pounds slowly through the year. And because my specific body had these needs and the way people used to live where you didn't eat all day, you had to hunt and gather and make and prepare to be able to eat. So you weren't mm -hmm. able to just wake up and start eating normally. You probably no. had to do some things <laughs> first. Yep. So it's like going back to the way your body was designed to eat and then moving forward with the nutrition knowledge that we have now. So basically, if I don't finish exercising till noon, like I get up, I do some work, I take care of my dog, my family, you know, dishes, anything else I need to do, then I yep. go back to work. And then when I get to the exercise time I have for that day, I'll eat after that. Because if I eat before it, I won't 
feel like exercising and I'll feel sluggish. So if yes. I didn't eat until 12 that day, I'll still finish eating at five or yeah, four. Right. Yep. I'll eat all of the calories my body was going to use. I'll still eat the 17, 18, 1900 calories because of the exercise that I did. But my body's not spending 18 hours a day digesting. Yes. It's only spending eight, which leaves the other 10, 12, 14 waking hours of the day to do things that are beneficial for it, to repair damage, to work on things that your body actually needs that energy to work on. See, there's lots of startup entrepreneurs and people that are looking towards people like yourself who have um, set up their life by design rather than being, I guess, a, a passenger in their life. And I think that's really telling. Now, you, you talked about um, not eating before you do exercise. For me, I'm a morning exercise person. When do you mm -hmm. generally do your exercise in, in a so, busy day? I generally wake up around 6.30 and work until 8. And then I'll take my dog for a walk and do the chores in the morning and take care of anything else my wife and I need to get done between like 8 and 9. Then I'll exercise between 9 and 10, uh, and then I'll get back to work. Yep, yep. So basically, I'll work however long. And this is what's great about being your own boss, is I could work from 6 to 8, from 10 to 12, and from 1 to 7 if I want to. Yeah. And because I get to pick those times, I get to live the exact life I want to live. And I still get all the work done. Nothing falls through because guess what? I don't have enough work to do today. Maybe I stop early and spend more time with the family. Yeah. Or maybe I do more work Wednesday so that I have Thursday and Friday evening off for a thing I want to do with the kids or with the dog. Like I get to make those decisions because I designed my life. Yeah, tell us about your bucket list. What's, what's one thing in your bucket list that you want to achieve? So I have a laundry list of places I want to travel <laughs> I <bet you> to do. <laughs> because I love eating and that's kind of why I really took the steps to make my nutrition good at home Yep. because I like to go to, so basically going to Japan is on my bucket list Ah. and I love the food and when I get there, I want to be in such good shape that I can eat my way through Japan. <laughs> I love it. and then i won't have to feel bad because i know my lifestyle will support me being the most healthy version of myself when i get back and then next year i can eat myself through greece yes fant oh that'll be a challenge <laughs> yeah so you see like i love eating but my you know my life isn't i i've orchestrated it so that i get to not feel bad about my vacations and my yes. traveling yes now, it's funny, I, I often think about what's valuable for me in my life, what keeps me motivated, and it happens to be my children. What's the one thing that keeps you motivated? Well, honestly, it's my wife, and to a larger, or to a smaller extent, my dog, which I treat like our baby. Yes. It's the opportunity cost. I know that's a very business term, but if I don't figure it out and start planning for I wish I would have started earlier, but if I don't figure out the grand scheme and do the work now, the cost of not being able to spend that time with my future kids later yep. and not being able to travel and spend time with my wife later 
and not being able to pay for a surgery or something that my dog needs to extend her lifespan if she's in good health and something bad happens to her. Like the cost of not being able to do those things later is why I do all of this stuff now. You're getting it all prepared, aren't you? You have a plan? Yeah, I have a plan. And whether I get to the plan as fast as I thought I would, I still take a step at, towards that plan every month. Yeah, because, you know, we're not, we're not on Earth for a long time. You know, I hear a saying, we're not here for a, a long time, we're here for a good time. So whatever you can do to prepare yourself for that, it's certainly going to serve you well. Now, tell me, what was um, the best way that you found yourself learning? For me, it's audio books. Do you enjoy a book? Do you prefer audio? What, what's your thing? So because I have to drive so often, because I'm driving what, an hour or an hour and a half or less to most of the places I work, mm -hmm. I'm constantly listening to Audible and uh, audiobooks. Yes. Either about nutrition, about sleep, about sales, about sometimes it'll just be about nothing to distract myself for a little <laughs> while. And white noise. Yeah. But I'm already driving that time anyway. Yeah. And I guess it goes back to my philosophy of I'm, you're already going to live, you could already maybe live 100 years. You're already going to live all this time anyway. Yep. So why spend an additional 15 hours a week listening to the top 40 on FM radio? Mm -hmm. Or completely revamp my knowledge of a certain topic that I'm interested in. Yeah, that's wonderful feedback. Yeah, I love that. Thank you so very much. Now, I'd like to ask, how do you go about building an abundance mindset? Do you use affirmations? And if you have a down day, how do you pick yourself back up mentally? So I don't do affirmations every day, mm -hmm. but I do them when I'm feeling down because they help me get back into the mindset of the person I was when I was planning the goals. Yes. If that makes sense. Yes, certainly does. And the morning routine, the nutrition, the fitness, the w events we plan to go to, my wife and I has personal time during the month. All of that stuff is what keeps me mentally balanced and able to come in and do my best for every client every day. Because I know that Saturday evening we're going to go to the, you know, block party for venice or the, you know that mm -hmm. saturday night this saturday that saturday we're going to go to the hollywood bowl and see a concert outside i know i have purposeful time to relax set into my schedule and make it happen i i wonder you know in terms of uh, taking a chance you you're a business owner you're an entrepreneur i'd love to learn first of all do you recall the first entrepreneurial experience you ever had? And what was it like when you first decided to go into real estate? Were you nervous? Was it difficult? Was there fear? So my first entrepreneurial step would probably be when I was a private chef in my early 20s. Ah. Because I stopped working for restaurants and other chefs, I started working for myself. Now what they don't tell you is when you're doing that type of job, you're basically working six days a week, 16 hours a day. Crazy. So ass. although you're making good money, you don't, you can't design your life, nor can you leverage the money you're making for good investments. You only really have the capacity to handle a certain amount of stress 
information, personal building during the week. So I found that I would just sleep every day, the mm. one day I had that week, instead of actively using it to improve my life. So I started shifting into a thing, into a way I could make my career something I was good at, like the analysis, the real estate investing, the breaking yep. things down for people in small, actionable steps like recipes, except I can now help everybody, except not just one high net worth family, let's say. Yep. And yep. then after I got into real estate, things started falling into place one after the other. I had to put in a lot of work in the first year, which was very scary because as you know, it's an outcome-based business. So mm -hmm. the first year when you don't have any clients until you prove that you're good at this, you don't get any paychecks. No. And so that part was a little scary. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> just imagine. Well, look, you, you, you put those building blocks in place. Now, part of that role would be authenticity and honesty. How important are those two things in your line of work, do you think? They're, so I would think they're number one and two in my line of work, and that's where I put them. However, number three, and sometimes becomes number one, is whether they like you or not. Ah. So I'm always trying to be authentic. I'm always trying to come from a place of, look how successful you could be mm. in this goal that you have. If you just follow these steps that I've provided for you, as opposed to come here, buy this, look how successful I am. I definitely know what I'm talking about. Yep. Does yeah, that make absolutely. sense? Like yeah, a that's fundamental great. shift in yep. the salesman logic of like, look how successful you could be. Now just work with me here and trust me a little bit and let's build a relationship so that when the hard decisions do come, you trust me enough to take those steps with me. One of these things would be trusting you enough to know that when you say no, to a customer, I'm not sure that that would ever happen, or I can't help you. You're taking responsibility for the, uh, I guess, as the leader for them to as to whether or not you can give them the best advice. Is that important as well? Do you think? Absolutely. Taking that, taking that I responsibility. I think you're just as responsible for the things you say no to as the things you say yes to. Yeah. And I have told clients, clients that are looking for a more commercial agent like somebody who deals in warehouses or farmland or developing certain projects if i'm not the guy that yep. specializes in what you want i'll tell you i'm yep. not gonna go try to fake it and get it done i'll refer you i'll go one step further and refer you to somebody that i know can help you can help because yeah. i'm doing you a disservice if I'm lying or if I'm stretching the truth. And also, if I set you up with somebody again and you have a great outcome, then you're going to think of me whenever you need the things that I offer because I've already done you a solid. You already trust that I'm giving you some worthwhile advice, not because it benefits me, but because it benefits you. Yes, your focus is customers, isn't it? Yeah, and that's the, the you know we could do with a lot more of that. Certainly in this space now, tell me a little bit about with all of your real estate experience. What's the one thing that you do the best? Do you think? So I do residential and multi-unit 
residential investing and home ownership. So I right. work with getting people to buy their first and second home. And then if they have a little bit more ambition, if they want to establish financial freedom, I work at leverage, helping them leverage those first and second homes to buy third and fourth homes until we get to the number of homes that when paid off would provide them financial freedom and essentially pay for the rest of their life not including any social security disability stocks bonds any non-real estate investment they might have so that they're always covered and this can take i mean this takes years and years i'm working with a lot of people that are a third of the way halfway through the plan mm -hmm. but if you have real estate and other investments one of them will always be doing well enough to support you fully. And when both are doing well, you can travel, you can spend, you can do as much as you want because it's good times. It's true financial freedom, isn't it? It's true financial freedom. <clears throat> and specifically on real estate's part, as long as you did the research up front with the right professional, 90% hmm. of the work is done by the tenant paying your rent or you paying your rent and time. You almost have to do nothing to make sure that property is a great investment as opposed to, a, let's say a more active investing like stocks, stocks and, and moving yeah. around money, day mm -hmm. trading, things that are very high risk, very high skill. You can mm -hmm. buy a house in Los Angeles and expect it to be a good investment as long as you can keep it for longer than five years. That's the trick, isn't it? Yes. So that's where your professional comes in. Your professional helps you analyze it every which way. And you figure out that worst case scenario, you can always keep the property. You should buy a property. If you no find question. out that worst case scenario, you lose your job, you will absolutely lose the property or you are overextended financially. Then it's time to make a plan to get you to a place where you will be comfortable enough financially to buy a property. But you should not buy unless the numbers make sense from all sides. Yes, that's sage advice. Now, given the nature of global events around the world, David, um, I don't know if it's cause and effect. Does something that happens around the other side of the world impact real estates in your local area? And if that's the case, is when's a good time to consider real estate because of these external factors? So, a lot of people are a little bit worried now that rates have returned to the sevens, eights, which is mm. basically our 39-year average. <laughs> so there's been a lot of higher rates, but there's also been a lot of lower rates. And the best time to buy is honestly when you can afford it. But if we want to deep dig or a deep dive down into it, mm -hmm. Rates are expected to start falling by 2025, and mostly rates moved about half a point to three quarters of a point per year in either direction yep. between 2012 and 2022 until it doubled in one year. <laughs> yes. So the best time is to buy something most likely in the mid to late 2024, early 2025 range, where Prices haven't gone up so much due to higher rates. However, as soon as rates start coming down, prices will go up in these yeah. high demand, high appreciation areas. So you want to toe the line of saying, I'm prepared to buy 
I get something next year and I maybe I have higher payments for the next year or two while I look for a chance to refinance. But yep. you're not so you don't wait so long that you're paying 10 to 20% more for a home. No, no. Look, I can tell you very educated and experienced in this field and, and you know, that builds confidence and that level of trust. But a lot of people that are coming into this space, they're, they're blinded by the excitement, the potential for yeah. financial freedom, and they don't bother spending the time and in, uh, investing, again, the time to educate themselves. How important is it for people just to slow down and get the data and, and educate themselves? I would give that question two different answers. For mm -hmm. one, on the consumer side, if you start working with an agent and they've been in the business for less than two years, less than three years, yep. likely they don't have the answers to most issues that you're going to face. Yep. So I would take a look at their track record and what they achieve each year and say like, hey, are these the best people to help me achieve my goal because just as you said there's a lot of people who get into it for the glitz and glam mm. they have three or four sales with their friends and family and then they leave the business within the next few years so you should really take some accountability and interest in your search by saying i'm going to work with this person because his goals align with my goals and what he talks about doing every day and does himself is what i want to do and on the other side, if you're going to get licensed as a real estate agent, mm -hmm. the prep, the licensing exam, all of that information is basically, you only need about 20% of that in your active day-to-day -day job. And you don't learn about 80% of what it takes a mentor to teach you about <laughs> the ins and outs of real estate. So if you're in your the year before you're going to take the exam and you're taking classes and you're learning about real estate you should be researching neighborhoods following development in your areas you should be educating yourself about the counties you want to work in every day so that by the end of that year by the end of that two-year period when you finally do have your license mm -hmm. you're actually an expert about these local micro markets that your clients might want to buy in. And you're not just getting out there and practicing on the largest investments of people's lives. Yeah, this is the thing, isn't it? It's such a, uh, a massive investment for people that, you know, if we rush, uh, we may fall over and falter. Now, you, you touched on getting licensing. What is something to look for? Is there a particular number or registration or an association that people can check to find out whether or not the people they're looking to, to work with, like your good self, uh, are registered? So generally, you want to go with a realtor or somebody who ha who's a member of a real estate organization that places a large importance on ethics, yep. a large importance on continuing education, where three quarters of that is ethical, <laughs> to make sure that these people <laughs> are seeing and learning that they have a responsibility to their clients. As opposed to that, though, there, there really isn't a whole lot. Like I work at Compass, which is a real estate brokerage in California, New York, some other states, and they only hire experienced agents. So on one point, you do have a guarantee that they're at least making income. They're at least working successful agents in their field. 
Yeah. And on the other side, teams, teams that are led by two successful agents who really know what they're doing, or one successful agent that really knows what they're doing, are mm. still allowed to hire new agents and train them. I yeah. mean, that's how I got my start years and years ago. So it, re- I would say it's really hard to judge based on place, time, location, age of person. Yeah. It's easier to judge when you sit down with the person and you ask them all the questions and you tell them your goals and you really listen to see if they have a detailed and specific plan uh-huh. to get you there or if their answers and their energy and their body language, because 93% of what we say doesn't yeah, come through body. our words in person. Yeah. I would meet with them in person and really take it old school and know that, okay, well, that guy seemed nice enough, but he wasn't confident and he wasn't looking us in the eye and he wasn't telling us exactly what we need to do. The way I treat real estate is if you follow the process that we outline and the plan that we outline together, mm-hmm. buying your home, buying your duplex, buying whatever you were set out to buy, keeping it, holding it, selling it, all of these investing things, It's all the logical outcome of a very specific process. It's no longer a very stressful, risky decision that we're making because we really need to buy a home. It's you did the work, you followed the process. Of course, it ends in you having a home. It takes a lot of the stress and the guesswork out of the client side because they know that this process has led hundreds of people to the conclusion. So if they have any questions, they can ask me. If they want to tweak the goals, I'll come back with new numbers and I'll help them stay accountable to achieve those goals. How does it make you feel? I mean, there's there's the moment in time where one of your clients will have settled and they've got a smile on their face, but do you know, you know, have long-term relationships with those same clients and you see them years later? How does it make you feel knowing that they're succeeding? It makes, I mean, that's, real estate is one of my passions. Mm -hmm. A lot of times I have to tell people, trust me, here's the data in past circumstances. This area Mm -hmm. had these factors. Now it's this much more expensive. This area had these factors. Now it's this much more expensive. And I lead them to, yes, through appreciation and demand and businesses coming to the area, a variety of factors. And they have to they have to take a leap of faith that the things that I'm showing them is accurate, or at least it gives them a 70-30 edge on the house so yeah, that yeah. <laughs> they have a higher percentage of success. And during those times, people can get somewhat stressed out. But my favorite time is the check-in two years, three years, four years, five yes. years after where I tell them, hey, happy to help whenever you need something. You know, please send your referrals if you have any. And just so you know, the house we bought for 700000 is now estimated to be around 998000 Wow. Yeah, beautiful. And so you've got 200000 plus your down payment, plus your equity that you've paid down over those five years. And now you're sitting on a nest egg that can be leveraged in the future. For anything, for businesses, for buying another property, for college funds, it's financial freedom in the form of options. Because yeah, you if can't... you get 
a bill that you can't pay, you have no options and you go down a very specific path. But if you want to buy a house, you want to invest in a business, you want to buy another property for investment purposes, and you have the funds, yep. those options are freedom. That's great. No, I love this. You know, um, as, a, as an investor myself, I, I, I can, I feel it. You know, every time you spoke about having those options, absolutely on point. Now, I wonder, how do you meet new clients where they are in their investment ideas and what they want to do? Do you have some sort of an onboarding process? I have several onboarding processes. I bet you do. <laughs> so, so I send out a curated monthly email with local events, a deeper yep. dive in a topic, say inflation versus homes and how what inflation has done to your one investment versus your other investments. I'll also include several articles about recent real estate news in their specific area. So monthly that goes out. During the day to day, I am leaving, I'm dropping letters by hand in neighborhoods close to where I live and I invested in a home. And then calling neighborhoods around calling the neighborhoods I work, cold calling, you know, yep. standard sales term, people that have never met me. And through that, podcasting, letter dropping, emailing, eventually people start to recognize my name and recognize that I understand what I'm talking about and I am in their area. And if they want to come to me and plan yep. or even take a, 30-minute call to decide whether my approach to this is a good fit for them, that they are able to do it. There's no obligation. And I'd like to remind you, Rick, planning is free. No one's ever been charged for planning. For planning, no. And it <laughs> gives you the, the low-stakes opportunity to see me, recognize me, and reach out to me as opposed to me getting in everybody's faces besides with like my open houses and my marketing mm. for my properties and say like, hey, here's what's happening in the world. Call yeah, me if that. you need anything. Absolutely. I love the fact that you're doing a blend of inbound and outbound promotions, let's call it, and you're building trust, you're having relationships. Now, if you're on the call today and you're a podcaster, in fact, and you're looking for a guest to talk about real estate, I know that David is looking for opportunities to continue educating uh, far and wide as uh, as he can do, today, as he's done today, should I say. So um, certainly reach out to either myself or David and uh, you know invite him onto your show. He'd be more than happy to join you. Now, David, uh, in all of this, where are people um, likely or best likely to be able to connect with you? I release bite-sized educational content on TikTok, Instagram, YouTube, and Twitter at DePong Real Estate LA for right. Los Angeles. And I have a website, DePongRealEstate.com. So my last name, real estate, spelled out, .com. And that has all of my contact info. So I recommend people reach out to me, even if they're not in my state, city, etc., what I'm trying to do, because I have the time this year, because the market's a little slower, mm. is arm people with the tools they need to succeed in the next market. There will always be people that ha are having a baby or have a need, and they, they're financially taken care of enough that they can act now. But I want to make sure that during the next cycle, when properties start expanding, 
and the economy starts heating back up again, that I've reached enough people to make a meaningful difference in home ownership and in financial freedom. Yes, that's fantastic news for anybody who's on the call today. If you're looking to be financially free, you're looking to get into real estate, you want to educate yourself, all the wonderful things that we've touched on. We've really only just touched the surface here, and David is the person you need to reach out to. You can find him at his website. As mentioned earlier, I'll be providing the links back to David and all of the wonderful content that he has available for you. And with that being said, David, great call. Thank you for joining me on the show today. Thanks for having me rick i appreciate the work that you do for when people want to improve themselves improve their businesses 